Well, you came here in the heat. I'm going to tell you, this is a long stretch. Right? Are you thankful that he delivered you from hell? Right. Seriously. Well, tonight we're going to finish Jude. Now I'm going to put out a little teaser. Next week, we're starting Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. And we begin with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. And it's rich. It's so good. As a matter of fact, I'm calling the series uh, The Beatitudes, The Pathway to Blessing. Because Jesus, with every Beatitude, he began it. Blessed is he. Or blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed. Which means happy and to be envied. So if you want to be happy, anybody in here want to be happy? If you want to be so blessed that people envy the blessing, because you may, just by envy, they want your God, okay, then be sure to come next week and start the Beatitudes with us, and then we're going to go all the way through Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus teaching in a nutshell, three chapters. I mean, he covers everything, and there's some things we're going to cover like turn the other cheek. What does that mean? Anybody ever done that? Somebody slapped you and you just went ahead and turned, said, go ahead. That's what I thought. I haven't either. We're going to talk about what that means. So a lot of good stuff. So tonight we finished Jude. Next week we start the Beatitudes for a really rich time in the Word. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for this incredible red-hot letter of Jude. Now as we finish it up tonight, Lord, give your people wisdom knowledge, and understanding. Lord, enrich us, build our faith. Lord, strengthen us to walk in victory in this wicked and perverse generation. We thank you, Lord, for the power of the word that is quick and powerful, sharper than a sword. Lord, let it pierce tonight. Let it build us tonight. And we thank you for changing us by it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, but you, beloved. Because that's where we're picking up the book of Jude. Amen. So tonight on the radio, I was hosting. I'm hosting tomorrow night as well, in, in case you listen. But what we do, we're on to every man an answer. It's a Bible call-in question program. And uh, we field questions from all over America. There's no delay. There's no pause. Whatever the question is, we got to know something, right? So you really, really depend on the Holy Spirit. So a lady called tonight and she started saying that first John taught sinless perfection, meaning that Christians can get to the place where you never sin anymore. It's called sinless perfection. You never sin anymore. So she said, that's what it teaches and that's what we're supposed to walk in. So we asked her, well, do you ever sin? No, I don't. So we started answering her that no, the Bible doesn't teach that. And she hung up on us. And I said, well, there that, that went. No, you're no longer sinlessly per- perfect. Because you got mad and hung up on us. 
poof, out went the testimony. Right in front of the whole country. Anyway, how many of you have sinned this year and you needed God to forgive you? Well, I just want to know if I'm talking to real human beings. Because if you haven't sinned in a whole year, I want to talk to you and meet you. And I want you to lay hands on me. I want some of what you got. No. All right. We're finishing Jude tonight. Last time we closed with Jude, who, remember, was the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus didn't have any full brothers. Understood, right? Because only Jesus had God as his heavenly father. So all the children Joseph and Mary had were half-siblings to Jesus. Because Jesus was the only begotten son of God. But Jude was a half-brother. And Jude is addressing the return of Christ. We closed out last time with 10,000s of his saints to judge the world. Uh, that's talking about the second advent, the, the second coming of Jesus. And what an awesome, solemn event that will be when he returns and all the armies, all the hosts of the redeemed with him. And that would be you and me. You really believe that, Jeff? Yes, I believe that. Of course I believe that. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe he rose from the dead. You, don't, you can't beat that. All right? So remember, the book of Jude is all about, Jude began the letter by saying, I was going to write you about one thing. I was going to write to you and expound upon our common salvation. That's Jude 1, 1 and 1, 2. It's only one chapter. But then he said, but then, I'm paraphrasing, the Holy Spirit moved on me. And I was taken in a totally different direction. And I want to address you about apostasy. I want to address you about what's happening. Now, I'm talking about in Jude's time. He was seeing people apostatize from the faith. So I want to talk to you about apostasy that is uh, galloping in our day. And I'm going to talk to you about apostates, who they really are, how they worm their way into fellowships, how they affect genuine believers, how toxic they can be, and how they're not like a backslider. A backslider is a true believer that goes off into some kind of sin. Galatians 6, 1, is any, my brethren, is any among you overtaken in a fault or a sin? Let you who are spiritual restore such a one. So that's somebody that trips up and backslides they may go back into the world. They get caught up into some sin uh, that, that uh, they stumble over. And the whole uh, uh, attitude of the church towards them is to be to restore them. That's not apostasy. I this week watched a YouTube of a former pastor of a megachurch. No matter who, I'm not going to give you a name, don't want you looking. But he decided that he was done with Jesus. And he genuinely apostatized. He said, I'm done with it. I want anything to do with it. I renounce it. And he declared himself an atheist. Mega church, pastor. Right? That's not backsliding. 
That's apostasy. You see the difference? It's when you renounce and denounce Christ thoroughly. I want nothing to do with him. I'm done with it. I don't believe it. I don't embrace it. I don't accept it. It's not true. I'm out of here. That's apostasy. That's the kind of person Jude is addressing in this letter. So we've watched him comparing apostates to various things, clouds without rain and so on and so forth. Jude now turns his attention after dealing with the apostates for the first 19 verses. He now comes to verse 20 and he's going to address you and me. Those who genuinely love Jesus. Is that anybody here tonight? Those who genuinely love Jesus, all right? He says, now let me just, let me just turn my attention now away from the apostates and I'm going to talk to the real church, okay, that love Jesus and want to grow in him. And picking it up in verse 18, he begins with an exhortation uh, consisting of four verbs. So I was wrong. He, the first 17 verses were about the apostates. Picking it up in verse 18, he's going to exhort you and me with four verbs. Here they are. Say them with me. Building, praying, keeping, and looking. He says, let me talk to the real believers walking with the Lord. And I'm going to exhort you to those four things. So let's start verse 20. But you, beloved, look at your neighbor and say, that's you. You, beloved. Now listen to the word. Here it is. Here's the verb. Building yourselves up. Who's doing the building? Who's building themselves up? You are. You're building yourself up. On what? Your most holy faith. He says, first of all, you beloved who are going on with the Lord, not apostatizing. You're going on. You. Be sure that you put your faith towards Building yourself up on your most holy faith. In light of all the apostasy swirling about you, he's telling these believers, the godlessness of the fallen culture, the wickedness of fallen men, and the viciousness of an angry devil, he says, set your focus on building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Notice, it's not somebody else doing it for you. It's you and I taking the responsibility to build ourselves up. Build ourselves up. Amen? Now the word build here is used of of building a structure on a foundation that's already laid. Paul the Apostle talks about this very thing in 1 Corinthians 3.9. Listen to what he said. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So what do you do with a field? You sow onto it. What do you do with a building? You build on top of it. So he's saying, you're a field that is sown on and you're a building that is built on. He compares you and me to those two things. And he says, according to the grace of God that was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. Another builds on it. But let each one take heed. Watch out. Be very careful how you build on the foundation laid. 
For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, when you and I got saved, we responded to the gospel of Christ. Amen? And when we responded to the gospel, we were, we were saved. So the foundation was laid right then and there. The foundation was Christ. By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. So by grace we were saved through faith. So the foundation that was laid was belief in Jesus Christ. All right? Jesus is my foundation. Amen? He's the foundation. I believe in him. Believe he is who he said he was. I believe he's coming back. I believe he's the only way to heaven. I believe he's the only begotten son of God. I believe he was born of a virgin. I believe he rose from the dead. The, the foundation, and Paul said, you can't lay any other one that's any good one but Jesus Christ. So he says, but now that I've laid the foundation as the apostle Paul, who was preaching the gospel, now you and whoever you allow to build on it are building on it. So there's a foundation, and a foundation is only laid so you can build something on it. So he says, you are God's building. And the building begins with a foundation. Paul says the only true foundation is Christ. That's the only one. And the redemption purchased through his shed blood. If we build our lives upon any other foundation, it's a foundation of sand. Remember Jesus and his Sermon on the Mount? He who built on the sand, the rains fell, the winds blew, the floods beat on that house, and it fell. This week, it was really sad. I'm watching uh, this newscast of uh, where this terrible flooding happened. I forget where it was. Huh? Alaska. And here's this, this, these waters that have become torrents. And they are ripping past these beautiful houses that had been built along this river, I guess for the, I'm sure for the view. But th these floodwaters went so high, they began to eat away at what was below this one beautiful two-story plantation-looking white house that was just beautiful. And all of a sudden... The whole thing collapsed into the water. The whole thing. It just folded like an accordion and collapsed into the water. The whole house and everything in it. And you're hearing all these people that are filming it going, oh, oh, oh. And I thought of what Jesus said. If you build your life on anything other than his teachings, one day the wind is going to blow and the rain is going to fall. And the floods are going to beat on the house that you have built on a foundation that is of sand. It's not of Christ. And no matter how beautiful it is, because this house was beautiful, the whole thing folded and collapsed because the foundation was not good. Amen? So Paul says, let each one take heed how he builds on it. Uh, NLT puts it this way. Whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. Once the foundation is laid, you're going to build something on top of it. Because you've got a life to build. All right? You're going to build something on top of it. You're going to order your life around, watch this, a set of principles, truths, beliefs, 
a value system, and so on and so forth. Every house, every life has a foundation. It's either sand or rock. It's Christ or it's something else. And on that foundation, you build. You build principles, truths, value systems that guide your life and all of your decisions. Whatever your value system is, every decision you make flows through that value system. Whatever you value, do you value Christ? Do you value the world? Do you value worldly thinking? Do you value biblical thinking? What do you value? Do you value relationships? Do you value whatever your, your value systems are, your morality, your ethics, how you do life, what you value, every decision you and I make is going to flow through that value system. And the value system is whatever you've built on the foundation. So where do you get your values? Where do I get my values? I do my very best that every value I embrace comes from the Bible. But the world is always trying to foist on you and me its values. And I'm going to tell you, don't do it because that, that is coming down. Okay? The danger is you can start right and build wrong. This is what happened to the Galatians. Remember when Paul writes to them, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Okay, the different gospel is they were mixing Old Testament, Mosaic, Judaism with New Testament truth. You got to follow Moses and Jesus. Paul called that a different gospel. You foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you're now being made perfect by the flesh, by obeying the law, by coming back under Moses? No. In other words, the foundation of Christ had been laid in their soul, but they were building now, on top of it, wrong. Toothpicks. Not bricks. Amen. You don't mix law and grace. By grace you are saved through faith, alone. Saved by grace through faith, alone. I can't add one thing to it, can't take anything from it. I got to take it like it is. It's all a gift. Amen? Now watch Paul. And when we read this, I can think of a lot of Christians I've known through the years I could say this to. You ran well. You were doing great. Who hindered you? from obeying the truth. You began well, but you're in danger of ending badly. You were running so well. Who in the world got into your brain? Uh-oh. Who in the world got into your... Let me have it. I don't want to do that again. Who in the world got into your... That's going to be edited out. Who in the world got into your brain? All right? And, and, and convinced you to pick another route, another path. Who, who did this? How'd you stumble like this? That's what he's asking. And that's why Jude says we've got to be very careful to build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Be sure that what you add to the foundation is from the Bible. Now, there's a thought. Not Oprah. Not Dr. Phil. No, the Bible. 
That's my instruction manual for living. I don't need anything else. I really don't need anything else for truth, philosophy, theology, integrity, ethics, morality, nothing. The Bible. That's it. So having begun in Christ, we've got to go on in Christ. And this is the constant refrain of Scripture. Hebrews says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to maturity. Peter says, you have been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow. Everybody say grow. Listen to the verbiage. Let us go on, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what do you build on top of the foundation? You build Jesus. Amen. Ephesians 4, listen to this. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about. That means blown about with every wind of doctrine that comes through town by the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting they involve themselves in. But speaking the truth in love, we may, here it is again, grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So Jesus is the root and ground of your most holy faith. So listen to what he says. Go on, grow up, and grow in to Jesus. So let me ask you, every day, what bricks are you adding to your house of faith on top of the foundation that is Christ? What bricks are you adding, and how are you adding them? Because if you don't build on top of your foundation, the world will do it for you. So we got to be very aggressive and intentional about this. So every day, I grab some bricks straight out of the Bible. I go. Th- you can do this if you want or not, but I go through the Bible every year. And every morning, I just bow before God. I'm so thankful for the Word. I cherish the Word. I cherish the Bible. It's God's word, and I cherish it. And so what do I do? I read my reading for the day, and when I'm doing it, I'm putting bricks on the house. And they are solid bricks, strong mortar, the mortar of grace and faith. And I build that house into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Okay? If you're not doing it, something else is building on your house. So building is the first word. Then Jude says praying. Everybody say praying. In the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not necessarily talking about praying in an unknown language, although that can be part of it. But that is not uh, the initial gist of it, the meaning of it. He's saying We pray in the Spirit's strength, in His wisdom. He moves our hearts. He directs our petitions. He places on our hearts what to pray for. Because we've got to remember, the Holy Spirit that lives in every believer is a praying Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a praying Holy Spirit. Amen? The Bible says... 
the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Groanings. That's not talking about tongues, although it can be, but it's not talking about tongues. It's saying he's moving down. The Holy Spirit knows what you and I need. Paul, in another place in Corinthians, says, who knows a man but the spirit that is in a man? So what does the Holy Spirit know? He knows your, your deepest needs and mine. He knows what we need better than we know what we need. Because who knows a man better than the spirit that lives in the man? And the spirit searches the deep things of God. And the spirit makes intercession for us with groanings too deep for words. Jesus is praying for you and me. Amen? Remember, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have returned to me, you will strengthen the brethren. So Peter, or Jesus saw the whole thing that was about to go down with Peter, the attack of Satan on his life. He said, Peter, I see what Satan's about to do. I'm not going to stop him from doing it, but I'm going to pray you survive it and thrive after it. So I prayed for you that even though you miserably fail, you will come back and it will not knock you out of the race. I'm praying for you. Same thing, same idea. Holy Spirit prays for you and me. Who knows what he prayed for us today? Why are you here tonight? How are you here on a Wednesday night when it's 150 out? How are you here on a Wednesday night? How are you still growing? Because how many times has the devil knocked you down and you thought, this is it for me, but here you are again. And you're still walking, still seeking, still praying, still reading, still growing. How'd that happen? Holy Ghost prayed for you. The more we allow him to guide us in our praying, the more we will pray and the more effective our prayers will be. And, you know, let me say this about prayer. It's not twisting God's arm to do what we want him to do. It's not manipulating God. But real praying is praying according to his will. If we pray according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have the petitions that we've requested from him. When somebody says to you, well, praying according to the saying, if it be thy will, O Lord, when you hear somebody say that's not a prayer of faith, you tell them they don't know the Bible. Because even Jesus said, pray after this manner. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not a lack of prayer. It's total trust and total faith to say to God, if it's your will, I trust you, bring it to pass. And it's one of the most powerful weapons in our arsenal, uh, contending for the faith, fighting for the faith. Standing for the faith. Defending the faith. That's what Jude said in verse 3. Contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. That's what we're called to do. So how do you do that? Well, one way is you stay in prayer. All right? The kind of praying, this kind of praying, releases the power of the Holy Spirit against Satan's strongholds and achieves things that we will never accomplish by argument or debate or organization or politics. So, say with me, building, then praying, 
And Jude says, but you, beloved, also keep yourselves. So keeping, keep yourselves. Where? In the love of God. It's really interesting here. The word for keep is to watch over or to keep an eye on something. All right? The danger Judah's addressing here is that of becoming. Watch this now. I'm going to give you two, two things that it probably means. First of all, the danger of becoming angry and bitter and hostile towards people that are hostile to you as a Christian. When somebody's hostile, comes against you, criticizes you, mocks you, makes you the brunt of, of jokes, he says, be sure you keep yourself in the love of God. Keep, and that's not easy. Let me tell you, I, by nature, that ain't me. By nature, that's not me. Somebody comes against me, I want to retaliate. I know that's none of you, but I'll go ahead and give my testimony. I want to, I want to distribute some Texas justice, right? I don't like people coming against me. All right. It's very hard to bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the children of your father who is in heaven. Why? Because he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Because if you love those who love you, Jesus said, what have you done? Don't the publicans do the same? Everybody loves those who love them. But what about when they hate you? Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Amen. Now, I think there's a secondary meaning, and here it is quickly. Every day we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. I, I don't remember who it was. I think it, it, was, um, it wasn't Spurgeon. Um, anyway, I read of some well-known, strong, historic Christian in the past who put, put it this way. He said, I get with God every morning, and I do not come out of my prayer closet until I'm happy in the Lord. I don't come out till I'm happy in the Lord. Well, how about this? I don't come out until I have the love of God swirling and glowing in my heart. Keep yourself not in bitterness, not in guilt, not in fear, but in the love of God. Keep yourself there. Keep yourself there. Keep an eye on where your heart's going. Keep an eye on it. The proverb says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the very course and direction of your whole life. Watch over it. Keep an eye on it. Watch over your heart. Watch over what gets into your heart, rules your heart, guides your heart. Watch it. Keep an eye on it. You know, we got two new little dogs. We did. How many times have Cindy and I said to ourselves, what were we thinking? <laughs> because, oh my, anyway, all I'm going to tell you is they weren't trained in any way, shape, or form. You know what I mean. And they're little, little schnauzers. So here's the thing. Take them out back, 
at night, you better keep an eye on him because they get away from you in no time. They're gone. Shoot. And, and you find yourself befuddled because there's one, but not the other. Where'd the other one go? Oh my goodness. But I can't leave him to go chase him because if I leave him, he's gone too. You got to keep your eye on him. So now, because that happened to me once or twice now, when I take him out there, I'm just like this. Stay right here. Stay right here. I got my eye on you. You're not going to get five feet from me. Keep your eye like that on your heart. Watch over it because you know what? Your heart will get away from you. The real danger is there's a big dog next door in our backyard gate or fence is metal and they fit right through it so here's the thing if they go to the other side of the fence bad things could happen you know what will happen if you don't watch your heart you'll go to the other side of the fence and on the other side of the fence there's a mad bad devil waiting for you to transgress and go through the fence Amen. So say with me, build, pray, keep, and looking. Looking. Verse 21, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking. The word looking has to do with your focus. Now listen carefully to me because we're coming to the close here, but I want you to catch this. The word itself means to wait for. The idea is that we Christians are ever and always to be looking and waiting for the return of Jesus. Never forget about that. Because the parables Jesus told you, remember, it's when they said, my Lord delays his coming. And they begin to eat and drink with the drunken, and they begin to abuse people. That's Jesus' parable. He said, you'll begin to eat and drink with the drunken, and you'll begin to abuse your fellow servants, so abuse be wrong, deal with people wrongly, treat them wrongly when you get away from the Lord. So Jesus said, he should never have said, my Lord delays. Because as soon as you say that, your focus goes from here to here. Because now there's no fear of God. Okay? So Jesus said, you ought to be like men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, Luke 12, 36. Now, here's the truth. Your focus will decide the quality of your life. Your focus will decide the quality of your life. You can focus on things that make you worry. That's going to decide the quality of your life. You can focus on fearful things, lustful things, angry things, wrong things, and it'll decide the quality of your life. You want to enjoy life? Fix your focus. Fix your focus. Some people focus on their problems. That's all they're ever focused on, their problems. You get around them, all they talk about is their problems. Until you're looking for the escape route, the exit door. Have I told you about my problems? Yeah, last time we were together, you told me about your problems. Let me tell you again, because I got some new ones. And everything they talk about is their problems. Tell me what the Lord's doing for you. Amen? <laughs> Yeah, this is going wrong, that's going wrong, the other is going wrong. Well, what's going right? If you can't think of anything else, just say, well, I'm saved. Hallelujah. That's right. 
So, amen. The Bible says the Christian's focus is to be on Jesus. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, let's move right along. The truth is that these trying times that we're in, and we're in trying times, folks, uh, in these days of growing apostasy, because apostasy is growing. Mega church pastor, pastor for decades, apostatizing like that, writing books on atheism now, whole denominations throwing the Bible out the back door. Yeah, we're in a time of apostasy. What Jude was addressing as God's word and Jesus the Savior are removed from our culture, it's only going to go from bad to worse because you take God out, the devil rushes in. Amen. Now, finally, he makes a statement in verses 22 and 23. So say with me together, build, pray, keep, and look. That's why I get with God first thing in the morning because I set my focus in the morning. I set my focus. I don't want to do it in the middle of the day because I always feel like I'm playing catch up. I should have done it when I first got up, put my focus on him. Okay? So say it with me. Build, pray, keep, look. Now he says, on some, this is a very strange verse. On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now, there's a difficult verse. Let's unpack it. We're called to have, notice, compassion on some people, making a distinction between them and someone else. What does that mean? On some have compassion, making a distinction. What does that mean? Well, remember, he's talking about apostates. So the apostates themselves, Jude tells us, are doomed. They've denounced Christ, want nothing to do with him. The Bible is very clear on this. But their victims can still be rescued. Those that have fallen prey to their false teaching that Jude so strongly warns about. Their victims can still be delivered and saved. That's the distinction. You're making a distinction between the apostate and their victim. He's saying when it comes to their victims, have compassion. Reach out to them. Don't let them go down the sewer. Try to restore them. Try to rescue them. They need compassionate Christians to help them untangle the lies they've been hearing. Are you with me? So you you find them. You go find them. I've learned this. Somebody misses church one week, I, I don't even hardly think about it. They miss two weeks, I notice. They miss three weeks, I tell myself, something's wrong. Almost always something's wrong. So I go and I'll look for them. You okay? What's going on? Talk to me. Give me an update. Give me a state of the union. And and many times I'll hear, wow, I've been so overwhelmed with life. I'm really struggling. I'm, you know, I I know I've been messing around in some things and please pray for me. And I do my best 
to have compassion and untangle the mess. Now, here's the thing. Are you your brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. You know of certain people in church that have gotten out and started drifting. I don't know anything about. So should you wait for me to figure it out? No, you ought to go to them and talk to them. Give them a ring. Give them a call. Say, hey, you okay? So sometimes compassion finds a way where words can't. I'm not condemning you. I love you in Christ. I want to see you restored. But then there are others we must treat with great caution. Watch this. Others save with fear. Jesus taught we're to be wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. Which comes first? Wise as a serpent. Because Christians tend to have great big hearts with no wisdom. Or a little bit. We get into trouble all the time because of our big hearts with no discernment. So he says here, he says, there are some you're going to have to be very careful and you're going to have to walk in a little bit of fear and caution. Now here's what I believe this means. I've personally seen people go to help others and fall into the very sin that they were in. Others save with fear. Fear of what? Listen to Galatians 6.1. If any of you are overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, go to such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I've seen people go to help people out of immorality and fall into immorality. I've seen people go to help somebody out of drugs and fall into drugs. That's why he said, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. What does that mean? That that right now in their sin, they're carrying the equivalent of leprosy. And you don't want it on you. So you've got to go in meekness and say, Lord, I'm going to go help this person, but I'm not going alone. I'm taking somebody with me, and we're going to minister to them but I, I have a hatred for the defiling that is in their life, and I'm not going to let it on me. Are you there? I've seen people fall who were the ministers, but they fell because the person was so convincing. That's why God was always telling the children of Israel, don't intermarry with them. Don't intermingle with them. Keep to yourself to those that believe in God, because if you do, their sin is going to become your sin. we got to be smart, folks. Not me, Pastor Jeff. I've been walking with God 20 years. I'd never fall. Watch it. Take heed, lest you think you stand, lest you fall. In dealing with some people, you got to use wise caution because they can be very seductive, very convincing, very persuasive. Approach them with another believer. Now, he ends with a, tr- a note of faith, and I want us to 
quote together the last two verses because now we're at the end of Jude. How many of you were blessed by this? Amen? Amen. So let's stand together and let's read this together, can we? Are you ready? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Verse 25. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I know it was a strong word, especially there at the end about approaching people with caution. Not telling you to treat them like they're less than lovable or anything like that. But you got to be smart. People are walking in things these days that you just don't want to be exposed. You can help them, but you got to be careful. How many of you know this is true? Yeah. Amen. Father, I just thank you tonight for this powerful word from Jude. Thank you, Lord, for your protection. Lord, as we see people that need help, the victims of bad teaching, the victims of apostates, the victims of those that have uh, been turned aside and made to stumble by the wrong message of somebody else. Help us to have compassion on them. And Lord, for those that have really gotten caught up in some serious stuff, help us to use caution. Help us to be wise as a serpent first, gentle as a dove second. And Lord, may people be delivered from the snare of the devil. And Lord, we humble ourselves before you. How badly we need your help your protection, that you would deliver us from evil, from the evil one. Help us to keep a straight path. Help us, Lord, to walk in the word. Help us to build Jesus on top of the foundation. Help us to put bricks on the house every day by the word of God. Give us discernment in our building, how we build, what we build with. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.